This is Women's Leadership Success Radio Podcast, episode number 95. It is no secret that the technical world is a male-dominated space. From the cultural belief that computer science is a, in quotes, subject for boys, to the many assumptions and discrimination women experience in the field, it can be very challenging for women in tech to thrive in their careers. Nevertheless, despite the gender bias pitted against them, some high-performing women persist and succeed as leaders in tech. And we know this bias against women is also true in general in other fields. If you have a career in tech or you're considering one, you'll find this interview with my expert guest encouraging, inspiring, and filled with simple tools you can put into action immediately. Even if you're not in tech, you'll glean ideas and strategies guaranteed to help you succeed in your chosen field. Welcome to Women's Leadership Podcast, showing you how to influence people, improve your performance, and advance your career. Brought to you by women's leadership and career expert Sabrina Brom and womensleadershipsuccess.com. Here's your chance to meet women trendsetters leading the way to success, accomplishment, and balance in business and life, no matter if you're a manager, CEO, or entrepreneur. Join Sabrina for coaching and no-nonsense advice to improve your career and bottom line. This is womensleadershipsuccess.com radio, and today we are, have the great pleasure of talking to Pratima Glutman. Welcome, Pratima. Thank you, Sabrina. I'm so happy to be on your show. Uh, tell us a little bit about the name of your book and your background. So the name of my book is Nevertheless, You Persisted, True Stories of Women Leaders in Tech. And my background, I, 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 I talk about this in my book, because I, I was born an engineer. That was something that I knew very early on I wanted to be. I wanted to be an engineer. My brother was an engineer, and I think it was just that I had a role model at home, and it was something that uh, drew me to engineering. It was math and science. I loved math and science. Those were the subjects that I loved and I cared deeply about, and I was good at. And that kind of paved the path, and I was actually the first female engineer in my, in my family, which is sad when you think about it, but in reality is sometimes women are the only engineers in their families because a lot of women are not encouraged to take that step. They're always encouraged to go into art and, you know, it's like art is good for you and math and science isn't for you. And so those messages are somehow um, imbibed in little girls from either their homes or schools, you know, their society, something keeps giving them that message media. I think media is probably the big one. Feeds these messages to women and that kind of causes stereotype threats where you kind of, you kind of tell yourself that, you know, I'm, I'm a girl and I can't, uh, my brain's not made for math and my brain's made for art or there's nothing wrong with the arts. I'm not saying that, but I think it's just a disservice when you create that uh, stereotype and really impact people from doing what they, what they truly are meant to do on this earth. Right. Oh, and um, so true. I think, yeah. So I think for me, I was born to be an engineer. <laughs> oh, that's good. And and at the same time, you overcame some stereotypes to do that. Like women yeah. in your family, women weren't engineers. 
Um, yeah. your, your book title, actually, the, the cover of your book is interesting. It's this, uh, it looks like a beautiful woman, but you can't see the front of her. Um, mm-hmm. And she's got her arms on her, her waist. And, and nevertheless, she persisted. How did, where'd you get that phrase and why is it important to you? That phrase was important to me because when you take the term persistence, it's defined as the firm or obstinate continu- continuance in a course of action in spite of difficulty and opposition. And what happened with the book was as I was interviewing these women and they kept telling me their stories on you know, how they accomplished achievements, what influenced them during their childhood, who their mentors were, and what successes and failures they experienced along the way, I found a common theme emerging, and that was persistence. And what I found was that for these women to succeed in male-dominated industries, they needed to persist in the face of gender bias, stereotype threat, imposter syndrome, and just negative messages from media and society. And so it was important for me because what I found was the ones that persisted and who surrounded themselves, and this is important too, not just persistence, but the women who surrounded themselves with an influential network of allies made it to the top. Right, they kind of succeeded in their own ways, and these allies were the ones that were kind of lifting them while they were climbing, uh, and which can be very powerful when you're part of their trusted circle. Well, and that's very hard for women to be in to get into that trusted circle because it's an old boys club. Yes, and we're, I want to hear more about that. And the thing that just caught my attention, which I'm going to ask you more about in a few minutes, because I have some other questions I want to ask you first, is the influential network of allies. So we're, we're going to come back to that. Mm-hmm. But often women aren't paid equally to men, aren't treated fairly in the workplace, and are overlooked for promotions and leadership roles. What do you think are some of the obstacles that women especially face in the tech industry? I think what women face in the tech industry is their credibility. The technical credibility gets questioned quite a bit. Um, and I don't know what that is. I don't know if, it, if it's because women just have confidence issues. We suffer from imposter syndrome or, you know, we're too shy. We don't speak up. I mean, that's why Sheryl Sandberg wrote the book, Lean In. She was saying, sit at the table, lean in. Because I think we struggle with that. And uh, that, again, is, you know, from your childhood. And uh, so women have to work 200% harder than men to achieve that same level of success. So that's one challenge is we get questioned, our technical credibility gets questioned. Um, And because that gets questioned all the time, we have to work 200% harder. So an average Joe and an average Jane are not the same. You know, average Jane has to be much better than average Joe. So it's it's not a fair play. The other thing is women are over-mentored. And they're under-sponsored. And this is very critical. If you look at women, they're always saying, I want a mentor. I want, you know, I want somebody to tell me what I should do and how I should do things. But we don't, we're not savvy enough to say, you know, let's look at our environment. Let's look at the influential people. Who are these people who can invest in, in me? And who are these people that I can grab their attention? Like, how can I get visibility with this person? And that's what women need to start doing. Men naturally have that because, you know, we always, we always connect with people who are similar to us, either gender, race, culture. And so men tend to look out for men. And so if they see some high potential male in the workplace, 
they will favor that person over a woman who probably has the same potential. And so women have to work twice as hard to get that attention. And that's a challenge I find. Um, so yeah, uh, then, uh, I want to stop you there because you're talking about the same thing again. This, the, the question just keeps popping to the surface, surf, surface, and that is how do we get an influential network of allies that we can trust, that trust us, that are going to help us with our careers and not mentors, but basically sponsors or champions? Yeah. Um, so my book talks a lot about that. And it talks about how some of these women ended up getting sponsors. And there was there's one woman, uh, Sarah Clatterbuck. She was a senior director at LinkedIn and she's now with Google. She's a director at Google and she's in Germany. She talked and she, she had this very interesting uh, way of talking about sponsors. And I looked at her career and she moved fairly fast at LinkedIn. And I asked her the question, I said, how did you do that? And she mentioned sponsors. And the way she went about it was she would go to a boss's boss and just create that trust, right? So building relationships. So she was building relationships across the company, but mostly in her management chain. She started off with that. So, you know, walking into her boss's boss office, building that relationship, and uh, of course, doing good work, right? That's the first thing you have to do. You have to be excellent. You have to strive for excellence. And once you do that, and if you're really, really good, you, you should feel empowered to walk into your boss's boss or your boss's office and start having those conversations. Like, tell me what, um, you know, more responsibility looks like. I want to have a bigger charter. Tell me what that is. Like having those, actively having those conversations. And so that's what she did. And she also had, um, you know, her VP who also, you know, saw her as somebody with high potential and somebody, you know, and so he said, oh, let's look at, you know, how, what more responsibility looks like for you. And so he came up with a plan for her and that's what she did. And then he would advocate for her across the company. So when she found that click, what she said was very interesting, which was something that I didn't know at that point, was she said, one sponsor begets other sponsors. And so when he did that, his peer network, which were other VPs across the organization, started to see the same potential that he was seeing in Sarah. And, you know, so they were trusting her with strategic projects and they were giving her more and more. And then she kept constantly having promotion conversations. Um, there was another woman I interviewed in the book from Intel. She, we didn't publish her story, but she said something very interesting. She said, she said, Pratima, you have to manage your own career and you have to make sure every 18 months you are getting promoted. She said 18 months. I thought that was very aggressive, but she has a point. Every 18 months, we need to keep constantly looking at how we can get to the next level and who can take us to that next level. And that is a sponsor. And how do you get that visibility? So being in the front, being, you know, always saying, hey, you know what? I want to do that work or saying, or, you know, and, knock, and blowing it out, like knocking it out of the park. That's important. And trying to get that attention, networking, that is so critical. So if, if you know, you have, uh, you have to go out one evening to get drinks and dinner, go, go for it. You know, do that because when you connect with them, even at a personal level, that helps. And I think a lot of us shy away from networking because, you know, we've got other responsibilities. We have to get home to the kids. We have to do a lot of other things. So there is going to be an element of sacrifice that's needed to make a lot of this happen. 
That that really makes a lot of sense. I, I, I want to just back up to this thing of walking into your boss's boss's office. What I find with a lot of women is they feel very intimidated to kind of go above their boss. What what kinds of things might you say to the boss's boss um, that would be a door opener or be an okay thing to have a conversation about? I think skip-level meetings are important to have. And I don't think women should feel, um, feel uh, you know, feel that's weird, right? You should set that expectation with your boss and basically say, I want to have a skip-level meeting with your boss and your boss's boss. And I do that. I do that. I have, um, uh, you know, a, a monthly meeting with my boss's boss. And every two or three months, I meet with the VP of my organization, your boss saying, hey, giving a heads up. Hey, I'm, have, I'm having these conversations. And also making your boss feel secure that, you know, you're not, you're, you have that person's back and you're not, you know, having these conversations um, that, you know, people do get insecure. Like, so you kind of have to make that person feel secure that you're having these conversations for your own personal and professional uh, development. Um, and then you walk in and you have a set of questions, like be prepared. Because when you walk into these meetings, they, they expect you to talk, right? And so you have to, be smart about what questions you're going to ask. So be prepared in those meetings. What exactly, what exactly do you want out of this meeting? And having those conversations and then maybe throwing it out to that person and saying, so how did you manage your career? Or what are the things that you did? And getting to know that person a little bit more and how they climbed the corporate ladder, if that's interesting to you. Um, you know, keeping it more informal and not like super formal, that can also help. But I guess it depends on the culture of the organization. And and how about the the asking, Pratima? The I would like you to sponsor me. Is that something you could actually say? How would you, how would you uh, frame that so that it it works? That's a great question. So you can't really go to someone and say, "Can you sponsor me?" Um, though I've heard that one woman did that. Apparently, there was one woman at Google who did that, and I heard this through um, one of the women in the book. Uh, but I haven't seen that uh, a lot because I think a lot of people don't know their sponsors themselves. They don't know that term. Um, so you can't just go and say, I mean, you can go and say, hey, can you be my mentor? Can you mentor me? But go, you can't really say, hey, can you sponsor me? Can you be my sponsor? Um, I haven't heard that a lot. But I think get, getting that visibility with that person showcasing your work um, you know, and getting them to think that you're awesome, like you're really, really good at what you do, and also kind of giving them a hint of that you're ambitious. But this is a little careful, and this you have to be very careful, especially for women. Your brand is very important. You, you know, like when you come in and say you're ambitious, I think a lot of people treat it as aggressive. Mm -hmm. Oh, she's aggressive. Mm -hmm. And so there's education there that you need where you basically say, hey, you know what? I'm ambitious. I'm assertive. I speak my mind and I want great things for my career and I'm ambitious and it's okay to be ambitious and assertive um, and kind of dropping those hints. And I think, you know, when, when, when these men or women who are in influential positions, when they go into other meetings where they're talking about strategic projects, who needs to execute on this, I think they will naturally think about you. And if they don't say that doesn't happen, they, they give it to a peer manager. You can go have that conversation. You can walk in and say, hey, so, you know, I, that project was given away. 
why why didn't I get it? Having that conversation or having a conversation sooner, like, hey, you know what? I want my charter to increase. How can you help me increase it? Like, what ideas do you have to help me increase my charter? Because normally promotions happen when your when your charter increases, when you have more responsibility. That's a natural way for you to progress to the next level. And having those conversations, and they will kind of know that you know, like they'll they'll know what your goals are and. And you can also get very specific. You can do that. But I haven't I haven't done that. I haven't gone to somebody and said, be my sponsor. Maybe that's something we could try just to be radical. But um. <laughs> so it's it's you, you you work around it by asking for help in other ways. There's two. I want to I want to ask you more about asking for things. Excuse me, sharing sharing what you've done. But. Tell me what the word charter charter means. How are you using that? Oh, so charter is your area of responsibility. So uh, if you're a leader, you're going to have an area of responsibility that you have total ownership, right? Okay. And it's totally under your control. So that's kind of your charter. And as you keep adding more um, uh, more responsibility to that, your 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 um, your responsibility increases. So it's kind of, you could also call it responsibility or your sphere of influence within an organization. Okay, thank you. And the sharing your accomplishments, this, how, did, how does one walk this fine line of being a bragger, arrogant, or narcissistic, which is what I hear a lot? What do, what do you, how, do you, how do you share the great success you just had or something that you did? What's a good way to do that? I think if you focus on your team, especially because these are leaders, right? What you always have to do as a leader is you have to give visibility to your team. And so doing that is going to make you successful. It's a very indirect way of getting success. And, you know, bragging about your team is nothing. I mean, I think women are very good at that because we can advocate for others. Uh, we can't advocate for ourselves, but we can advocate for others. So talking in terms of your team, talking in terms of the team's achievements, I think can also help. And then you can throw in things like, you know, and then I was, and I enabled them or I did this, but then using we and bringing the team in the picture is always, will always help. And I think women were great advocates for others. We're not advocates for ourselves. So when, if you're advocating for your team, you're actually indirectly advocating for yourself. That makes sense. Success is the opposite. Yeah. Um, Shilpa Lawande, in her story, she she said you have to be careful when someone compliments you to not be so uh, humble that you'd say, "Oh, it was just the team," because people might believe you didn't have anything to do with it. Yes, yes, yes. She does say that, and I think she probably got bitten by that quite a bit. Um, so yes. you're you're right you're right but I think as a leader it is your team if you think about it if you're an individual contributor like say if you're a woman who's an individual contributor I think that's where people run into problems so if you look at Ann Holler in my book she was an individual contributor but she had a very hard time taking credit for herself and she always put it on the team and that actually hurt her because people would be like so what did you do because you're an individual contributor and I think that comes into a lot. But when you're a leader, it goes against you if you're always saying, I, 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 I. You have to talk about your team. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's more important as a leader. You know, it's a collective 
effort and collective achievement. But as an individual contributor, I think, yes, women engineers have a very hard time saying, I did this. They're always talking about their team, which will, yes, impact them Mm -hmm. because they need to talk about themselves. They need to brag about themselves. And I think it's okay to brag about yourself. I mean, why not? If you're awesome, say you're awesome. So, and also, I think sometimes you could ask, you could state it as a question. So I, I, I really had great success doing da, da, da. And I would like to um, have more experiences with X. So you've said the great thing you did, but you're asking this person that could help your career for other um, opportunities mm-hmm. to have that happen. So sometimes I think questions can be good with this. I, you know, I wanted to ask you, Shilpa Lawande, is that how you say her name? Yes. Would you yeah. Would you just give us a, a thumbnail description of her, and then I have a question about her. Yeah, I think what um, intrigued me about Chopa, I think, was just her family background. You know, her father was a physicist, her mom was a math professor, and I think her mom was a working woman. And she had these aunts around her who were also working professionals. So she was surrounded by these strong female role models. And though she wanted to be a physicist like her dad, she still felt this urge to pursue a different path, and she wanted to attend one of the, actually, the school she went to was one of the premier colleges uh, in India, which is the Indian Institute of Technology, and getting into that school is extremely hard, but she kind of told herself, you know, if I don't make it into IIT, she would go ahead and study physics, but she did make it into IIT Mumbai with a pretty, uh, you know, with a pretty high rank, and so that decision was made for her, and it was funny the way she decided between engineering uh, physics and computer science. Uh, her dad apparently encouraged her to get into computer science. And it was very interesting, though, the reasons he gave her, he basically said, you know, everything would be done with computers, which he is right. Absolutely right. Like even physics. And the second thing was he told her you would have a better work-life balance rather than just sitting um, and running experiments in a research lab. So I think he wanted that for his daughter. He wanted her to learn a technology that was going to be used by any profession and he wanted her to have that good work-life balance and and so he encouraged her to get into computer science and that's what she did and uh, and what's her role now what she's ceo and founder of um artificial intelligence for postscript or has she yeah so she's so yeah so she's actually went off and started her own company she she started her own company in boston um and uh, it's it's in the medical space. She's doing artificial intelligence in the medical space. And what's interesting also is her professional life. I think what happened with her is she joined a very early stage startup called Vertica Systems, founded by Mike Stonebreaker, who is a, you know, he was he's a, a Turing Award winner. Mm-hmm. But what he did was he took a leap of faith, right, in her. He asked her to come work for him. And she also took that risk. And I think that really propelled her career because she started off as an engineer on that team. I think it was a three-person three team. It was probably a risky decision for her. And uh, I think Mike basically convinced her, said, you know, wh- when will you ever, like, you know, write your own database from scratch, right? I think he, he threw that challenge at her and she took that risk. And you know, she started uh, as an engineer, and then she grew into uh, a VP in that company. Mm-hmm. And she moved pretty fast because it was a small company. So she was at the right place at the right time. She took the right risks. 
And that, I think, really gave her the confidence to go off and do what she's doing today is having her own company. She, she, I want to quote her here. She says in your, from your book, it says, which, then the book is so good. It's, it's the kind of, it's got so many interesting stories. It's the kind of book um, you could, uh, before you go to bed and you want to read <laughs> something inspiring. And, yes. and this, it, everything is a risk. I've come to realize not doing anything different from what you are already doing is a bigger risk. I mm-hmm. always like to push my limits a little, and I felt that starting my own company was the right thing for me to do at this time. Yes. So, you yeah, know, it's, it's so true. It's I mean, not doing anything is a bigger risk. <laughs> yeah. And the other thing that was interesting about her was she took, she took eight months off from working mm-hmm. to be with right. her three-year-old, and I think it was five-year-old, and she and her husband and the kids went on this kind of a long trip. But the thing that that triggered for me was this, it seems like one of the challenges women have is if they take time off when they have a baby or to be with their children, that there can be some challenges in getting back into the workplace. Do you have any ideas on that or suggestions for women that are listening that have children? Yeah. And, you know, I think it's, it's, I'm just, I'll just go back to my own personal story. My husband's a stay-at-home dad. I mean, he, now he started to work, but for a long time, he was a stay-at-home dad for seven years, um, raising my, you know, I have three kids and he had a hard time going back to work. Um, you know, employers taking him back and also his own self-confidence. I think he felt, you know, I've been with kids and I haven't been around adults these seven years. And now going back here, like, you know, am I worthwhile? Am I worth it? I think he kind of battled with that. And I think women go through exactly, just exactly what he was going through. Mm-hmm. Um, and more men are doing it, the men that are staying home. So it really yeah. isn't gender. It's if you take a break from work, it could, it could be another great book, right? How to go back. <laughs> yeah, it could be. And I think the way I do it uh, is that when I look at resumes and I see a gap, especially uh, for women, I try to educate the people on my panel, my interview panel, that this is not a big deal. This is not a big deal. What we're testing for is skills. Now, does this person have the right skills to do the job? Not a leave of absence, nothing, right? If they come in and they can showcase that they have the right skills to do the job, then we'll hire them. And their past shouldn't matter to us, right? And I think a lot of that awareness for hiring managers, for executives, or whoever is in the position where they're hiring people, they need to educate people around them that this is not a big deal. And I've I've seen that. I've seen a lot of people say, oh, I've seen that. You know, what does she do? Like, what was she doing the last three years? And uh, And it's, you know, but the thing is, does she have the right skills? Does she have the skills to do the job? And I think that's the focus. And a lot of us tend to, go, you know, tend not to think about that. We we think about so many other things um, because of all the biases we have. Yeah, I think you know somebody just told me that they um, they were one of the ways they were getting rid of gender bias in their company was interviewing three people at the same time, and that that mm-hmm. helped. But I I like all these things where you kind of set it up in advance. You know, before the show started, we were talking about the importance of men um, being involved in what's going on. And a 
kind of like to end the interview with that. Um, why why is it so important that men are involved in, in helping women um, be successful at work and especially successful in in tech the tech industry? What, what's what's your thoughts about that? Yeah, I think it's super critical for men to be involved in this conversation. If you look at, you know, the last couple of years, I feel like there's a revolution brewing. I think women are stepping forward. We're asking for more. We're creating this revolution. But I, but we can't do this alone. We just can't do this alone. We need the rest, the other half of the population to help us here. And we need men. And men are impacted by this because they have a daughter or a wife or a mom. They have some woman in their life who is not negotiating for herself, leaving money at the table, you know, who is not advocating for herself, who's not having a a self-fulfilling career or a career that she wants. And I think it's important for men to support the women in their lives. And I think it's important for men to be part of this conversation. And today we all have to accept that the power and the wealth and everything is with men today. And they're the ones who can, they're the influential people. They are the ones who are making decisions. And so it's important for them to be aware of the gender bias of the unconscious bias. I think they have to become advocates. And once they truly become advocates, change will happen. So the women listening to this show um, have fathers, husbands, uncles, brothers, who could be in positions of power or working in companies, how can we start talking to them about this to help this happen? I think one thing your women uh, listeners can do is uh, have the men in their lives listen to your show. That could be a start. Thank you. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. I would like that too. And, you know, and every time somebody comes and asks me to talk at a company or somewhere, it's always the women's pod and the women's group. And the first thing I ask them is, are men going to be in, in these? Like, can we open this up to men? Uh-huh. Because it's important. We just can't have a group of women sitting and talking about this, about issues that impact us and not have uh, the, the, the rest of the people who actually can help solve some of our problems for us, right? I love um, it, yes. In that conversation. So have your women listeners bring a man to listen to your, uh, your show. And I think that's important. Or have that dinner conversation, whatever it takes to get men to listen. I th- and, and to speak up when you notice something's happening that, that is affecting what's going on with women or minorities or anybody. Yeah. Yeah. That we all, we all need to really get clear that our, our values are super important. Mm -hmm. And I also, the other thing you said before we started was your, the goal you have for writing this book. And I would like you to share, share that with people. Yeah, and and this is actually important. I was working with a coach called Kate Peters while I was writing this book. And one thing she always told me, and she always, even today, she coaches me, and she, she goes back to this one thing. She's like, Fatima, go back to your intention. Go back to your intention. What is your intention? Even before I go into a meeting, she says, write down your intention. And I did that for the book. And my intention, and I really, this was digging deep. Like, why do I want to do this? 
first it started off as a selfish thing. It was more for figuring out how I can advance in my career. I wanted to hear these women's stories. And then as I did research, I found some very disturbing facts about, you know, just how long it's going to take for us to get equality. It's going to be in 2085. And then that broke my heart because my daughter's four and a half. She's not going to see this until her 70s. And then as I evolved around, like, you know, being very upset and angry about that fact, I kind of moved into, okay, what is it that I could do? There's a problem statement. What's the solution for this? So, and then it came out, the whole thing came out for me and it was more like effecting change for making that change in the tech industry so we can get more women into tech, creating environments where women can thrive and they can succeed. And even before that is building that pipeline so we can have more women get into STEM fields and going back all the way to, you know, your childhood, like start from, from your young age. And, you know, the, the Reshma uh, Saujani, who's the founder of Girls Who Code, she said something that was brilliant. I mean, I just love what she said. She said, we raise our girls to be perfect and our boys to be brave. And so we need to change that. We need to start raising our girls to be brave. Oh, that's, that's beautiful. How, do, how can listeners find out more about you and your book? So my book's on Amazon. They can, uh, they can get my book from Amazon. My publisher is Friesen Press, so they can get it at the Friesen Press website. They can also get more information about the book if they go to my website. It's www.pratimagluckman.com. And there's a lot of information there for them about the book. I'm going to start doing, I'm just going to start blogging and doing podcasts and a lot of fun things um, when time permits. <laughs> yes, I could, I could. <laughs> so you'll be hearing a lot from me. Oh, good, good. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. And I wish you great success um, in having a wonderful impact and changing, changing it so women have equality much, much sooner than 2085. Yes. Okay. Thank Bye you for, for now. You're doing the same thing. So I, I really <laughs> applaud you for that. Thank, Thank you. So you. Okay. Bye. Are you committed to expanding and deepening your leadership and career talent? Would you like to know how to leverage yourself for greater success? For quite a while, I've been putting together a unique program based on my over 25 years of helping women succeed and the over 100 women and men leaders I have interviewed that will absolutely help you enhance your career and leadership. I will be offering this one-of-a-kind six-week program to the public. What is exciting for me is that before I take this special program to the public, I've decided to invite a small group of motivated women and female clients to be part of my inner circle and take them through this program If you are committed to taking your career and leadership to the next level and need a clear picture of you as a transformational leader, my program, Activate Your Career Building Superpowers, can help you get there. If any of this sounds intriguing, I'd like to invite you to hop on a quick call with me to explore if you qualify to be part of this exclusive group and my upcoming program. Simply shoot me an email at information at womensleadershipsuccess.com or go to www.womensleadershipsuccess.com and fill out the box on the right. Bye for now and thanks for listening. Thank you for joining your host, Sabrina Brahm, on another Women's Leadership Podcast. 
If you have questions or comments, you can email her at sabrina at sabrinabrahm.com. Since 1989, Sabrina and her team have helped hundreds of women managers, business leaders, and entrepreneurs with valuable trainings, articles, books, and executive coaching. For additional tips, interviews, and free access to Great Leaders Today mini-course, visit www.womensleadershipsuccess.com.